0: Welcome. Uh, to East Columbus Christian Church. It's great to see you in person or online. Uh, Thank you for being here with us uh, today. We are continuing our series on the book of Romans that we began a few weeks ago. Again, uh, just to recap, the book of Romans is is basically a letter to the church at Rome and it is a very heartfelt letter that the Apostle Paul is sending to the church to just kind of pour out some things that are going on in his heart and his mind. Now last week we took a break from the series to honor our mothers, and I hope you all did a great job of that last week. Moms, did you feel good about last week? Everything good? Moms were, okay, good. Your your kids treated you well. Uh, Kids, that's not just a one-day thing. You can do that today, too, okay? You can do that Monday and Tuesday. You can honor moms every day, so hopefully you don't uh, forget that. It reminds me of a story uh, about a mother who was busy fixing supper one evening, and her little boy came up to her and gave her a piece of paper. And uh, she's wearing an apron and she kind of wipes her hands off on uh, on uh, her apron and she picks up the piece of paper and she starts reading it. And on the piece of paper, the little boy wrote, for cutting the grass, $5. For cleaning up my room this week, $1. For going to the store for you, $0.50. Cents. For babysitting my kid brother while you went shopping, it seems like that should be just a little more. Uh, Taking out the garbage, $1. And the list went on and on and on and on. And at the bottom of it, it said total owed $14.75. Well, his mother looked at him standing there, and the boy could see all kinds of thoughts and memories flashing through her mind. And she picked up the pen, and she turned over the paper, and she began to write on the back of it. And she wrote, For nine months I carried you while you were growing inside of me no charge. For all the nights that I've set up with you, doctored and prayed for you, no charge. For all the trying times and all the tears that you've caused me through the years, no charge. For all the times I wiped your nose and your behind, no charge. For all the toys, food, and clothes, no charge. So when you add it up, the cost of my love for you is no charge. And when the little boy had finished reading what his mom had written, he had big tears in his eyes, and he looked straight at his mother and said, Mom, I sure do love you. And then he took the pen and he wrote on the paper in big letters, all caps, paid in full. In a similar fashion, this is exactly what God the Father has done for us. And what we do sometimes is we think that God owes us something you know we, we feel like God you know I'm pretty good I've been giving money to the church I've been worshiping on a regular basis I even treat most people pretty nicely and so really you if you could just send some blessings my way if you just answered this prayer or give me this or give me that then uh, I'd, I'd be happier it's almost like we feel like God owes us something because we're doing him a favor because we're doing these these certain Things I think we kind of reduce God to, as some people say, a heavenly vending machine where we put in our prayer request and we push the button and out pops what we want. Well, as you're turning to Romans chapter 3, I want to share with you a brief recap of what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Chapter 1, the Apostle Paul was talking about how everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. And he talked about how he wasn't ashamed of the gospel, how he loved the gospel and how he loved people. And because he loved the gospel and he loved people, then he was going to share the gospel with as many people as possible because it is life changing. Everyone needs to hear it. And then, chapter 2, Paul kind of shifts to talking about how the gospel needs to be balanced between this love for all of mankind and then also the fact that God's wrath will eventually be poured out on all of mankind. And if you're not living the way that you need to, then you're going to be subject to that wrath and how some people have just bought into this mindset of where you have suppressed the truth so long that you don't even think about what God thinks about the situation that you find yourself in. You don't even care about the concept that could be uh, on you if you choose to do what God doesn't want you to do. And so we suppress that down so far and we live as if there's no absolute truth whatsoever. Paul says one day God's God's going to put an end to to all this kind of thinking and all of this this nonsense. And he says, so whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether... you know, you're born in, in, into Judaism or whether you're born in Rome, it, it doesn't really matter. Remember the whole circumcision, circumcision thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? And he's saying it doesn't matter if you've been circumcised or not. If your heart doesn't change, then no no big deal. And, and I think he kind of says the same thing to us today, a couple thousand years later, because I know a lot of people who say, you know what, hey, I just get baptized, I'm going to live my life the way that I want to. And God says, if there's no change on the inside, you're just getting wet, All right? And so that's what he would say to us today. So we begin chapter three, and it's important for us to remember that this is one continuous thought. Okay, I think sometimes we're guilty of like, okay, we read Romans chapter 2, we come to the end of chapter 2, okay, put that behind us. All right, now let's start chapter 3. It's not like Paul was sitting there and he's writing this letter to the church at Rome and he's like, okay, I better wrap up chapter 2 so I can start chapter 3. We are the ones that put those numbers in there. It wasn't Paul, okay? So this is one continuous thought. And so Paul gets to the end of chapter 2 and he's talking about, listen, it doesn't really matter whether you're Jew or Gentile he goes into saying if that's the case then what advantage is there and this is beginning in chapter 3 verse 1 you can follow along on the screen or look in your Bibles with me he says what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision much in every way he says first of all the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God he says what if some were unfaithful would their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. And he's quoting um, David from Psalm 51 there. Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing His wrath on us? Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases His glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil so that good may result? Their condemnation is just. Okay, this is what Paul's saying. We end in verse 8 right there for now. okay, And you're saying, okay... What in the world does that mean? Anybody sitting out there thinking that right now? Because when you read that, you're thinking, what is going on? What's he trying to say to us? Here's what he's saying in these first eight verses in a nutshell God is faithful even if we are not. Okay? This is what he's saying to the church at Rome. This is what he's saying to us as well. If Jews and Gentiles, if you and I, if we're all guilty before God, he's saying, what advantage is there? in being a jew another way to say this is and this is what he's saying to his readers what advantage is there to being circumcised because there were a lot of people in the church in that day and age that was saying listen you can't become a christian unless you become a jew first which means you've got to be circumcised so there were not a whole lot of people signing up for that especially adults and women were absolutely excluded They couldn't do it. How do I get in there? Well, you can't. You're out. You can't become a Jew first, right? You're out. And so Paul is saying to this Jewish crowd, he's saying to the Gentiles as well, that every single one of us are guilty before God. And then he asks another question, and I'm paraphrasing this. He's he's saying, do you think that God would forsake his promises to the Jews just because some of you are unfaithful? Because there were some dealing with that, they're they're wrestling with that in their minds. Paul is saying, I want you to think back to when the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai, even though Caleb and Joshua, we know they were the only two that had enough faith to go in and say, hey, we can take the land. They're the only two adults that that were faithful. God still brought the entire nation into the promised land like He said He was going to do. And Paul is saying to that group of Jews there, listen, I know there's a lot of unsavory characters around. There's a lot of you who have been unfaithful. And he's saying, listen, just because everyone else around you is unfaithful, God is still going to be true to His Word. He's saying that to us today as well. And we live in a world that is unfaithful. We live in a time where it is difficult. I think back to Daniel and what he was in in Babylon, and everybody around him was unfaithful. But he kept doing what he was doing, and God was faithful to him, even though everybody else around him wasn't. Just because everybody else around you is doing some really, really crazy stuff, that doesn't mean that God has lost sight of of what He has promised to you. In fact, in verse 3, He says, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? And then He answers the question, not at all. No. God's going to be faithful regardless of what everybody else is doing. Let God be true and let every human be a liar. And then He quotes David in Psalm 51. And again, you need to understand that David wrote this right after he had been incredibly unfaithful you know the story how he had cheated with Bathsheba and then killed Uriah right and so he had been unfaithful to God and he says so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge and Paul is saying listen even if the king messes up even if someone as important as that in your life is unfaithful, God's not going to change. God is still going to be faithful. Even if your leaders are no good, God's going to be faithful. Even if the people that you look up to the most in your life, even if your immediate family decides to one day turn their back on God, God is never going to turn His back on you. He's going to be completely faithful. And then God asks another question, and, and this is where this passage gets a little confusing. He said, since the Jews messed up so bad and set forth God's wrath in motion, again, I'm paraphrasing, this gave God an opportunity to show more grace. This is what some people were thinking. You know what? Hey, let's just go ahead and do all the stupid stuff that we're doing, because if we do all this stupid stuff and God pours out His grace more on us, that's going to look, make God look even better. Right. This was their mindset. And I know people who live their lives this way. And Paul is saying, no, don't do that. No. Just because you're unfaithful to God and then God shows his faithfulness and you think, wow, you know, the whole world's going to see that and say, that's just how good our God is. Paul saying, no, that's crazy. Don't do that. Doesn't work that way. And God is not going to show favoritism to you just because you're Jewish. This is what He's saying to the people of that day. You know? God's not going to show favoritism because if He was partial to them, that would nullify um, Him being able to be the judge of all mankind, right? If God shows favorites, would that, would, wouldn't that disqualify Him from sitting on the judgment See. If he's showing favorites, you say, okay, great. What's that have to do with us? It's been my experience down through the years that in the church, there are a good number of people that we would call self-righteous. Do you know some self-righteous people in your life? All right. If someone just popped into your brain, pray for them right now. Don't think bad thoughts about them. Pray for them right now. Okay, There are some people who feel that just because God has blessed them so much in so many different ways that maybe God favors them a little bit. He's never going to condemn me. After all, He's given me all these wonderful things and I've done all of these wonderful things for Him. And there's a good number of people who are in our churches who say God's character would not allow Him to condemn someone because He just loves everybody so much and He'll be merciful to everybody. no matter what their sin is, because he's just such a gracious and loving God. There are some people who think that just because they are church-going people, they're good. Show me where that is in the Bible, you know. And, and I've quoted my dad several times, and in, in, with this quote, and, and my dad used to always say, "You know what? Hell's going to be full of good people." Who just think, hey, if I do enough good things, if I just do all of the right kinds of things, then then God's going to overlook because he, lo- he loves me that much. He's going to play favorites maybe. And then we get to verse 9 and Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the same power of sin. And so Paul is wrapping up this argument to the Jews in Rome that every single one of us, all people, stand guilty before God. Jews are no better. We are no better. Just because we might be more obedient, that doesn't make us better. We're not loved more than people who are not Jews. We're not loved more because we go to church and some people don't. Here's the deal. We're all guilty, guys. Every single one of us are guilty. But but here's the difference. Okay? There's a couple differences. The first one is this: some people commit sins occasionally or even regularly, and some are dominated by it. Right? Sometimes we just goof up and we and we sin, and it's like, oh man, that was stupid. And then we repent of that sin and we ask for God to forgive us. But then there are some people who, who are just dominated by sin and they think, you know what? I can just continue to do what I want to do and God's going to just overlook it. You know? I've heard it put this way before. The problem with people is not just that they commit sins. Their problem is that they are enslaved to it. And Paul is saying, listen, Jesus came... To set you free of those shackles. Jesus. Came. The whole purpose for Him coming was to free you from the purposeful choices that you make in your life so that you won't be enslaved to that sin anymore. And this leads us to our second point, And I've already alluded to it a couple of times. None of us are righteous. Not a single one of us have got our act together. Even on your best day. You're not good enough and I'm not good enough. He got, Paul goes on to say, verse 10, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. Boy, that's a real feel-good message, isn't it? Glad I came to church today. Makes me feel real good. And this little section, Paul is just quote, He's quoting. Basic, these are all quotes from the Old Testament. Right, and the reason he's doing this, as I was reading in one of the commentaries this week, it illustrates the various forms of sin, the undesirable characteristics of sinners, the effects of our actions, the attitude toward God. Paul is painting a picture here that people are just sinning and living their lives. They don't even care. It's again, it's back to chapter one. They're suppressing the truth. They don't even care what God thinks about it. And then he says in verse eighteen, he drops this bomb that is the root of the problem. And see if much has changed down through the years. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear of God. Don't you think that that's part of the problem with our society today? Is people are just living their lives. And they don't fear God. If they even believe that he exists, if they believe that he exists, there's a good number of them that think they're just gonna, that he's just going to wink at their sin, and then there's a whole other uh, group of people that don't even believe in his existence. And Paul is quoting David in the Book of Psalms again and 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 again. He's he's aiming this message at people who are living their lives as if God's not going to judge them because they were Jewish. And we sit and we say, you know what? That's ridiculous. How could anybody even think that that God's not going to judge just because of who? who they are. Or there are some people who think that God's grace just covers everything and we don't have to worry about it. Just live your life the way that you want to. And if if God truly is alive and He exists and He is so loving, He's just going to say, ah, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. Here's the deal. God is righteous. And in His law, He describes His righteousness. Okay? And so He sets the standard here. His law, the Ten Commandments, that's the benchmark of all that is good, of all that is righteous. He's saying this, you need to strive for this. He says you need to strive for my righteousness, not yours. Right? Our righteousness, how good we are, is not how we measure uh, righteousness. Right? It's by God. And when we measure our righteousness up against God, uh, we, we pale in comparison. But what we do is we choose to compare ourselves to other people. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. And when we, com- when we try to look at our righteousness, it, it, we just pale in comparison. If I compare my righteousness with yours compared to some of you, I might look pretty good. And, and if you compare your righteousness to me, some of you are going to look pretty good because you're on this level and I'm not quite there yet. So, and, and so we're all at these different levels, right? I like what my dad used to always say. My dad used to say, you know, out of all my wife's relation, I like myself the best. Right? That's what he used to say. And what he was doing was he was comparing himself with all of the other seedy characters that were in my mom's family. And there were a bunch of seedy characters in my mom's family. And so he'd say, you know, out of all my wife's relations, I like myself the best. Because he wouldn't compare himself with better people than him. Now, he was joking, I think. Uh, But that's what we do. We, we never compare ourselves to God. We always compare ourselves with somebody who's just a, either a little worse than we are or a lot worse than we are. And this is what the Jews are doing. And this is why Paul felt the need to write this letter in the, to, to the Jews at the church at Rome and to the Gentiles as well so that they could see. listen, I'm not hold, God's not holding the Jews accountable uh, for some of these things, but these other things, they need to get their act together. Because there were people in the church who were saying, Hey, look at the religious stuff I'm doing. Compared to the pagans, I'm pretty good because I'm doing all this religious stuff. I'm giving an offering. I'm 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 doing mission work. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And and Paul's saying, Listen, that's that's great. You should do that, but you should do that out of love for God, not to try to earn your way to heaven because that's you might as well just not do it. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 basically tells us if we compare ourselves to others, we're not. We're not very smart. That's basically what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. And so we kind of have this holier than thou mentality sometimes when God is saying, Listen, I just want you to be humble. I want you to humble yourselves. Okay? Salvation's a free gift, there's nothing we can do to earn it. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. It's like the story that I shared with you about the mom and the little boy at the beginning, it's paid in full. Because of His love for us. And that leads us to the good news today. Because so far, you probably haven't heard a whole lot of good news this morning. You think, oh, Ron, this is real encouraging. Thanks. Um, here's the good news. It's actually great news. Um, we can be made righteous through Christ. We can be made holy Through Jesus. Even though on our best days we are far from it, we can be made righteous through Jesus Christ so that when God looks at us, He looks at us as if we are perfect, just as if we had never sinned. Look at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. Between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand and punished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time. So as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And then he goes on. Another question. Paul is good at asking questions. Get us to think a little bit. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law requires works. No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there's only one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith? Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. In other words, He's saying, listen guys, there's only one faith. And it's the, the same God who created us and the way that you come to faith It's through Jesus Christ. It's not by any works that you can do. There's only one way to get there. And it's through Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers our sins so that we don't have to die for our sins. And we're all in the same boat. Every single one of us. We deserve death. But Jesus went to the cross and did what we couldn't do, and that's save us. He broke the power of the law and the condemnation that goes along with that law. As Romans 8, verse 1 and 2 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? We're free from the law of sin. We're free from the law of, of death. It was because of our sins that Jesus died on the cross. We didn't force Him to die there. He chose it willingly. But it was for our sins that He went to the cross. Now, I want to wrap up this morning by uh, sharing a a story with you about a famous artist by the name of of Rembrandt. Rembrandt uh, painted a very, very famous... uh, Painting called the Raising of of the Cross. It was painted in the 17th century, 1633. It's a beautiful painting. I mean, when you look at, it, you think, man, this is this is beautiful. It's fantastic. You know that someone back in the 17th century could do something so so well. And um, but you, when you look closely, it looks like there's one there's one character in there that's just it's just odd. He's kind of actually there's a couple, but but there's one that that doesn't look like he fits the time frame, right? Blow that up just a little bit, okay? At the foot of the cross, there is a man standing there with a blue beret, right? You think, Rembrandt must have lost his mind. What's he doing? You have any idea who that is? It's Rembrandt. It's him. He painted himself in the picture. Now, why would he do that? Why would he paint himself in the crucifixion scene? You know, it almost looks as though he's I mean, he is right there almost like he's one of the ones that's driving the nails into the feet of Jesus. You know why he did that? He did that because he wanted people to know that he was guilty. He was guilty of of sin. He was guilty of causing Jesus to go to the cross to die for us. He was saying That all of us are guilty because of our sin. We might as well be there at the foot of the cross driving the nails. And Jesus is at Calvary dying for our sins. And Rembrandt was portraying the message that He died for Him too and He died for all of us. And when we accept that truth and we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we repent of our sins and, and we're baptized into Him, we allow Jesus to be the Lord and the Master of our lives. The blood of Jesus covers us. And we defeat the power of the law. And we don't have to worry about our righteousness and doing all of these good things. Now, we still want to do good things, out of our love for Jesus, but not so we can earn our way to heaven because that's already been paid for. 1 Corinthians 15.55-57. And I like the King James, how the King James puts it. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, do you have that assurance today? Do you have that assurance that you stand before God as someone who is righteous because Jesus' blood has been applied to you? I I hope you do. I I I covet your prayers this morning because I'm going to preach the funeral of a, of a of a young man who passed away. Um, and i'm struggling because as i talked to his mother i said well did he did he have any kind of relationship with christ at all did he ever go to church did he know the lord and her answer without hesitation was oh no no he he didn't believe in any of that and and i asked for your prayers as I prepare a message Tuesday. uh, Because that's going to be tough. And I tell you that story to say, if you've not made that decision, don't wait until you pass from this life, because then, as the Bible says, it's too late. I I don't ever want to have to have that terrible conversation with a loved one of yours, where they say, oh no, no, he didn't believe any of that. If you're watching online um, and, and you want to make a decision to follow Christ, you're ready for that, would you text READY to our church connection number? We'll follow up with you and we'll reach out to you and we'll talk with you and lead you through what you need to do to, to be made righteous in the sight of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made that decision and you're ready to make that decision, you want to do it now, we encourage you to come during this, this song of decision. Someone will meet you here at the front. Um, and uh, we just want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to know Jesus. Let's stand together.